0: Hey everyone, I am here today to um, introduce you or reintroduce you to Cassandra Wick, who has been on outside the studio before and she returns to us today with a unique lens and a unique but not so uncommon story to share about her journey through infertility and miscarriage. So I want to say that up front because this may be triggering for some listeners who have experienced this kind of loss. Um, It may be upsetting. Um, It may be a little graphic. So I just want to put that out there before you dive into the episode. And I also want to call Attention to some resources. If you do decide to listen and then subsequently find yourself upset and needing um, emotional support, Cass has formed a support group on Facebook, and I will put the links to that in our show notes today. Another type of resource you could seek out is through emotional hygiene work that Cass does um, through the Westfeld Institute. I would be remiss in not mentioning that on the subject of support and emotional hygiene work, we do have round two of a workshop coming up with the Westfield Institute, partnering with them for the emotional hygiene work, of embracing joy. Um, and when I say embracing joy, I just I want to point out that what we're what we're talking about, I think, is um, the tools that we can use that we can employ to combat depression. So this is more along the lens of the chronic low-grade depression that we experience in our daily lives that maybe we don't medicate, right? And maybe we don't want to medicate. And I'm not saying that there is anything wrong with medication to help with this feeling of, you know, the general depression, I think that absolutely has its value and its use and its purpose. But what I would say is that these are strategies to help support um, combat that feeling of like, gosh, I'm just, I'm not enjoying my life. My life feels like it's lacking purpose. And um, or community. I mean, goodness knows, like this past year and a half, few years, we haven't seen a lot of people face to face. So, as things open up again, as we start to see people in person, how do we return to this world and, you know, re enter into society, as it were, from a place of love, community, and support with one another? You know, we've all kind of gone through this collector of trauma and and still are. And trauma isn't something that generally you can just flip the switch off and then it's done. Although you might learn some tools that would help you do that with this workshop. So um, some of you may have heard me talk a little bit about this work, this kind of um it's it's like a, a triad of specialties. So we start off with Um, This concept of backbending, which if you've never done backbending before, if you have injuries, if you have physical limitations, if you're scared of backbending, this is a great place to start because we're not talking about, um, you know, some sort of acrobatic, get your feet over your head, make yourself into a pretzel crazy spine mobilization. We're really just talking about meeting yourself where you are. And finding some agility in your spine. So that might look like just simply bringing your arms up and overhead, lifting your chin up, right? Like looking up and that's enough to start to mobilize the spine and it is a backbend of sorts. So we'll talk about backbending, what that does for the physical body, what that does for the nervous system. And then we'll move into the emotional hygiene work, which will be kind of like great uh, breakout groups and, um, experiments that will be led by the Westfeld Institute. And, um, it's really profound work and it's work that I found in my life that cuts through the type of talk therapy I've tried, which has its value again. And, um, I, 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 highly advocate for any kind of therapy that you think works for you. But what I love about this type of emotional work is that it doesn't allow me to hide be- behind um, my saying to my therapist, yeah, I'm fine. Like I slept okay and I'm eating like crap or whatever it is, whatever excuse it is. It cuts right through all of that talk therapy and it gets to the emotion that's underlying your everyday experience. And I find that to be so profound and so... <laughs> like a fast track to healing because the emotions come up and there's no stopping them. I don't have any mechanism to be like, oh, that's not a safe emotion. I'm going to push that right back down and continue on with my life, hiding my head in a hole, which I've had a lifetime of practicing, right? (laughs) So that's why I love this emotional hygiene work because it just gets right to the heart of it. So, And then we'll end the day. So this is a three-part series. Remember, I talked about backbending first, emotional hygiene, work second. Third part is where I come in as the teacher of a yin and restorative and yoga nidra practice. So this is all about soothing the nervous system. It's about tapping into sympathetic, parasympathetic, rather, nervous system. This is your rest and digest. This is your sense of calm and Peace and equilibrium, uh, restoring equilibrium to the system, Um, and and so yeah, it's a it's a well-rounded group of people, experts in their fields coming together to give you this amazing experience. The dates are on my website. You can register there, but I'll just tell you right now, it's September 11th and 12th, which is a Saturday and Sunday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific time, and. The special offer the reason I'm like talking through all this is because I wanted to offer especially for those that are um, in the Pacific Northwest and in the Portland metro or Vancouver area that I'm going to open up five spots to come and join me in my home yoga studio to join this event so the Westfield Institute is based in Jacksonville Oregon they'll be joining us online And Isak Garcia is joining us from Mexico. I believe he's based in Acapulco. Hmm. Monterey. Ah. Anyways, he's somewhere in Mexico. I can't remember the city, but you can see that by looking at the website and his bio is there. So, um, that those five spots that I'll have offered in my home, you'll get to have the in-person experience you've been craving, the community experience you've been craving, um, and then when we get to the end of our practices, our backbending and our emotional hygiene work, you get to experience the yoga, nidra, the yin, and the restorative with me in the room guiding you. So I find it to be a really valuable and worthwhile thing to mention. And without further ado, we will dive in to our conversation with Cass Wick, who is talking to us today about infertility and miscarriage.
1: Thank you, Tessa. I just, first of all, want to say that I'm really happy to be here and to see you. Um, I, when I was young and I'm talking like 10, <laughs> I really wanted, I was obsessed with babies and I, I really um, always imagined myself being a mother. Mm. Um, I started babysitting really early and I remember distinctly just having this kind of like, a people called me the baby whisper, uh, the kind of like, if your kid is like really upset and crying and unsuitable, like give them to me
2: <laughs> mm.
1: and I would be able to really easily put them to sleep. And, and so I always, I don't know. I always thought that I would be a mom. And um, around the time of my twenties, I would say probably mid twenties, my the circumstances of my life really um, dawned on me, like the extent of trauma that I experienced and the um, the family system I was personally born into. It hit me pretty hard that I maybe was too damaged to to do that, um, to be a mother, to have my own child. And um and so I I waited on that topic and told myself for many years that I didn't want to have children and that I, you know, it was something that like a never mind, just kidding. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I remember like feeling very lighthearted about that at the time. I mean like I had pretty much convinced myself that that was true, that uh, not only am I too damaged to have kids, but I just don't want to. Um, And then fast forwarding to uh, getting married and watching a lot of people I know go through the, the transition into having children and, and being a family in that way. It sparked within me like the, the old feelings of really wanting to have that and like have a family of my own because I hadn't really ever felt part of one before. Um, of course I had married someone who did not want kids <laughs> and that like, that's the agreement that we made when we, before we got married. So I really was in no position to um, To negotiate on that front. Um, Mm. And that was a really hard time for us, but I felt like we still had plenty of time. I mean, at this point I was 31, 32 Mm -hmm. and thought that, you know, it'll work itself out somehow. (laughs) So
0: you, you and Christian had the agreement before you got married or like in the beginning of your relationship that you would not have kids and you were on board with that.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's something that we talked about when we were dating early on. And, and he said that he wasn't interested in having children and, gotcha. and I said, that's fine. Cause neither am I. Uh-huh. Okay. So it wasn't like a blood contract, but it was, <laughs> yeah. it was a decision. Right. And, um, and truly like in earnest at the time, I thought that that was Mm-hmm. that was where I was at. It was not, not something for me. Um, so in 2019, uh, shortly after we moved to Germany, I got pregnant by accident. And, um, that was the first in my series of five miscarriages now. Um, and I remember being so excited. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, I think in a way I was holding this, this point of view, like, okay, he says he doesn't want to have children, but if it happened, I think he would be happy. Mm -hmm. And so if it, you know, if it just happens to, you know, like. Some somehow magically the stars align and it happens. Then I think it would be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that first pregnancy was um, it was really difficult. I actually didn't tell him until after I started miscarrying um, that I was even pregnant. Um, it was a really strange kind of surreal experience um being far from home and um not really knowing if I would ever have another chance Mm -hmm. you know like it just we just in my view I got lucky Mm -hmm. and
0: lucky that that you were pregnant for that period of time yeah what was that like going through the miscarriage with Christian was did he I mean I I know he found out after the fact like after the baby had already been lost but can you tell me a little bit more about that experience as a couple together you know kind of imagining what parenthood maybe have been like
1: yeah you know in a couple of ways he really surprised me um first I mean this this miscarriage happened in quite possibly the worst circumstances it was the day his family his parents were coming to stay with us Mm. and um we had all kinds of plans I think we were even at the zoo like the, the frankfurt zoo randomly um and ikea like you know we just were it was their first visit to come and stay at our our apartment in 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 the city so um you know I I felt incredibly alone going through that and like i just was in shock and not really able to say like we should cancel the weekend because um i was in a lot of pain and um you know both emotionally and and physically mm-hmm. um but you know after after i told christian he was obviously went through a range of emotions, but in the end, we were able to, to grieve together. Um, We lit candles and um, we had referred to that pregnancy as the sesame seed. Mm -hmm. It's like about the size that it was at the time when we lost it. And um, so there was like a lot of affection in in mourning that, that loss. Um, So fast forward to 2020 and I became pregnant again um, by accident this time as well.
0: Is this the second pregnancy?
1: Yeah.
0: Was there... I guess I'm, I'm wondering about the, and maybe you'll get to this. So let me know if I'm jumping ahead, the change in, because there was a point when it changed from an accidental pregnancy to trying Mm -hmm. that you both agreed to try for a baby.
1: That's, that's a good point. Yeah. After the first miscarriage, the Christian's position was still that he didn't want to have children and it caused a lot of, it caused a lot of upset in our relationship. Um, and I, I really, at that time, felt like I had lost my only chance um, to have a child if I wanted to stay married to um, to my husband.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was, it was devastating. And I really didn't know how to move forward um, at that time. It was a like a pretty deep depression that I experienced. Um just trying to choose between okay, is having a child so meaningful to me that I'm willing to leave my marriage to go and make that happen somehow? Mm-hmm. really difficult.
0: Yeah, difficult. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So how did you two come to this decision together? I mean, I'm sure it was a lot of talk and a lot of, processing of emotion but eventually he did get on board with you about having a baby right
1: yeah that really happened in after the um the second pregnancy loss which was very very traumatic for me um I got pregnant again in March of 2020 and I miscarried at about eight weeks. And for the first six weeks, I actually didn't know that I was pregnant. And, um, normally I do know like right away, Mm -hmm. but strangely this time it wasn't really, um, I think the seasonal allergies, like the first thing that usually kicks for me when I'm pregnant is the, like, my sense of smell just goes times 1000 and I can, seriously smell everything. And, um, I think with the the seasonal allergies that year, I was, <laughs> wasn't able to. Yeah. And so, uh, when I lost that, we were, um, like I said, it was about eight weeks and Christian had caught on to, to the pregnancy. And again, you know, I'm sitting here a little, as we're talking about this, like surprised at myself for not being able to tell him, um, both times that I was pregnant and, and really like I was waiting to confirm and then wanted to just have a conversation about it in the right way. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, like each time the miscarriage happened before I got a chance to do that. Um, so the second pregnancy loss was at eight weeks and I ended up, um, basically being in and out of the hospital for about four months um, after that, and having four different surgeries, um, probably about a hundred ultrasounds. Um, I just was bleeding basically from May until September. Um, yeah, and this is right to place
0: this. It's right in the middle of the worst of the pandemic in Germany where you're in the hospital by yourself because Christian can't come with you because of COVID. So you're going through this in essence, what I'm sure feels like alone, isolated.
1: Yeah. And I mean, on top of that, I will say that Germany is not the friendliest place (laughs) in the world. Yeah. And the, like the medical, um, the medical culture here is very matter of fact. It's very cold and to the point. And I mean, I had like a terrible experience. I mean, my primary doctor, my gynecologist who first um, examined me after the miscarriage said to me, like, after I explained to her, like, I just want, I'm supposed to have a follow-up to make sure that everything passed and Um, and I was like, you know, I was eight weeks pregnant and, and she starts the ultrasound and she's not without even looking at me. I've never met this woman before (laughs) says, well, you're not pregnant now. (laughs) Jeez. And I think after that, she asked me like, were you taking folic acid? And I said, I wasn't in the beginning because we weren't intending to become pregnant, but as soon as I suspected, I started taking it and she's like, don't you know how important it is for the baby?
2: Mm.
1: And it just left me with this feeling that that what had happened was my fault. Mm. Um, And I must've had to go to her office in the four months. like 30 times, possibly more, um, because I would, I would go in for a surgery, they would perform, which is like, it's basically the same procedure for an abortion. Um, and then I would go through a, a period of recovery for about, uh, usually, um, like five days I would have maybe without bleeding. And then I would start bleeding again (laughs) and I would be back at the doctor's office and they would put me on hormones, on progesterone, on hormone replacement therapy. And then I would have another surgery because nothing was working. And it just like the whole cycle just continued. Like every couple of weeks I was back in the emergency room and having to tell all of these doctors all over again. um, What was, what was happening? It was just true. Like it was, it was actually surreal towards the end. Like I remember just feeling like I was a twig in a river, just getting bounced from thing to thing. And like, I couldn't even feel what was happening anymore. It's just like, okay, I'm back in the emergency room and (laughs) I'm gonna be in the hospital for a few days and a bunch of people are gonna c- come and poke me and <laughs> like
0: mm-hmm. it's just awful. Yeah. It sounds very um the opposite of nurturing, the opposite of um you know having an emotional sense of well being. <laughs> yeah. So so now so that was two miscarriages Mm -hmm. and then there were because you said a total of five. So there were three after that. Yeah. And these three that followed were, were planned pregnancies.
1: Yes. And will you tell me a little bit about those three? Yeah. So in each situation, um, I became pregnant very easily. That's, it seems like my body is able to conceive and, um, and even hit the first mark of implantation. Um, but beyond that, it seems like it's, you know, right around um, five to six weeks, just about every time with the exception of the the eight week um, pregnancy, it, it doesn't, doesn't pan out. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, we started a whole process of, of testing with a fertility clinic in Germany, um, right around the time. Like, I think it was basically just after the fifth, the fifth miscarriage, um, And we have been through just about every test you can do. Mm -hmm. Um, Checking blood sugar, insulin resistance, um, liver health, like, um, you know, all of the sperm analysis, um, thyroid, uh, blood clotting, (laughs) inflammation, like uterine inflammation, all of that. And just about everything has come back completely normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we're at, we're at a, a crossroads in this journey at this point, um, because I think we both are unsure if we're able to keep going through the loss, especially when we don't have anything to point to to say, this is why it happened, mm-hmm. and this is something we can manage um, going forward. So, yeah, at the at the moment, it's it's a really challenging time in this in this journey for me. Like asking the question of like, can I even? Can I try again? Yeah, yeah.
0: So it's not like. This isn't one of those um, stories or experiences that we get to put a bow on and have a, you know, at this point, I want to say happy ending, which isn't really the right phrase, I think. But like it's I think it speaks to the real raw human experience of what so many people go through and. Um, this idea that miscarriage is or this myth i think that miscarriage is the fault of the woman like you did something wrong mm-hmm. but actually it's really quite common miscarriages um and i think i i mean i can't think of there are a few women that i know in my life who have been pregnant the first time and just carried through all the way but i think most of the women that i know that currently have babies had previous miscarriages before they actually um, went all the way through their full nine months and gave birth. Um, So I guess what I want to know from you, Cass, is having been through this experience and still going through it, what would you say to anyone going through, you know, miscarriage or infertility issues at at this point in their life? What would you, what advice might you give?
1: I mean, this might be controversial, <laughs> um, but truly, I think what I really wanted to hear
2: <clears throat>
1: when I was, I think, you know, in the middle of all of this, so like probably around number three or four, mm-hmm. um, is that I don't, I don't have to keep going. I mean, everybody says, like, oh, if you want a baby, you have to keep trying, and at at the utter expense of my body and mental health <laughs> you know mm-hmm. i don't think obviously like if that i think that it's your like anybody who's going through this it's your experience it's your family's experience and i just would say like you know to turn towards yourself and give yourself the care and love you need and, and not just apply so much pressure to, to having this specific outcome.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And I mean, I think that that's part of the reason, like a lot of the, the things that people say when you're going through a miscarriage are really shitty. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And not with the (laughs) intent to be shitty, but Um, just like unhelpful. I'm sure kind of like, you know, someone's, it's very similar. You're grieving the loss of someone who's died, right? Somebody it's, it's a loss. So how do you, what do you do for that person? How do you be with that person and, and comfort them? Right. What do you say?
1: Yeah. I mean, if your best friend's aunt dies, you don't tell them that, oh, you can get a new, like you can have another one. (laughs) Yeah. Just go find a new aunt. (laughs) It's not how it works no. <laughs> Um And I think that there's this way that people expect the miscarriage grief to be private mm. mm-hmm. and that it's something that, and not even in, in some families I've seen not even shared between the partners, like mm. that it really is like, it's, it's my loss and it's, it's mine to grieve and it's mine to, to handle my feelings about, um, I, I got into a fight with a internet troll about this not too long. It was huge mistake to get involved in this, but I was really angry because, um, it was this lovely post by, um, NPR, like they were talking about miscarriage and how difficult it is to come back from, you know, recurring losses and Mm -hmm. And some asshole posted something like, you know, how you deal with and move through these losses and grieve these losses is 100% up to you. And, and it just really got under my skin because it absolutely isn't how you move through and grieve these losses. You're touched by your medical team who have like a hand in how you're able to move through this. You're touched by your family and your support system and ideally other, like other people going through the same thing. I really don't see um, how a, a person who's pregnant, who loses a child, how it's uniquely up, up to them to just um, move through that kind of loss.
0: So yeah, Cass, just to add on to that, I mean, I can see both sides of the coin. And I think that's the problem with social media is you you never really understand the context behind what the person is saying. Perhaps that person was like trying to be helpful and like, you know, that kind of trying to be the wise Buddhist sage and in terms of like, you, you are the keeper of your experience. So don't give your power away to these other people in your environment, right? Like, Setting aside the fact that that is entirely not helpful to you, and also makes you feel isolated in your experience, but I can see both sides of that coin, and that is that is the I think that is the problem with miscarriage being like swept under the rug or being um, this thing that we don't talk about openly and that we don't share in community and that we don't um, build a support network around. But I think you're absolutely right that you are touched by the medical team and your environment and your relationships that you have in your life. It's such a, it's such a valid point And it's very helpful perspective um, to bring up, you know, for someone that's been through miscarriage or for somebody that, that hasn't just to go through that experience and also to be supportive of a person in your life who, who is going through that experience, whether you know it or not, like you, we don't know. Right.
1: Yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying about, I don't want to give too much attention to this internet person. <laughs> um, but of course it was a dude who, who said it and um, like the, the comments that followed, it felt pretty clear that he was like, you know, I think that there's like an abdication of responsibility in a partnership. And um, that's, I'm not at all, like heteronormative here. So I'm not saying that a male partner is less supportive than any other kind of partner would be. I'm saying like, like when one person is carrying a child and the other person in the partnership is not carrying a child in their body, it I think can sometimes be really easy to abdicate the grief to the person who was carrying the child in their body. Sure. Um, so like the onus of moving through that loss in your family is on one person's shoulders. Mm -hmm. And that's the point I'm trying to make is that, um, it is a very isolating and very unhelpful place to be, especially when I think, you know, one of the most common feelings following miscarriage is shame and, and a feeling of responsibility, like, Second, I know, I mean, every woman I know who's been through miscarriage has expressed, like, I wonder if I ate something or Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I didn't know I was pregnant and I was in the hot tub. Like, you know, I was running a lot at the time or, you know, any kind of behavior that might be outside of the, the bounds of exactly what you're supposed to do when you're pregnant. It like lives in you as this source of regret and, and and shame like Mm -hmm. I know I must have done something to cause this Mm. um and so that's kind of where I'm I think where I'm trying to say that it's not it's not really a thing just one person can just get over and go through it takes a lot of time to process and yeah um a lot of perspectives to help like lift that shame from, from our shoulders.
0: Well, what is the most helpful, um, you know, whether the vice comes from you yourself or some external experience in moving through shame and letting go of shame that you've had,
1: that you've received? That's a really good question. You know, I honestly don't think there has been anything um, that I've really heard from anyone that has helped me feel less like what happened was my fault. Um, You know, for a minute during the testing, I thought maybe like there was some medical reason that we could point to and that would help me feel better about it, Um, but there wasn't. And so I really, I think I'm still living with that to a degree. And I think that that's probably a big part of why it feels almost impossible to try again is, you know, to intensify that emotion would be very difficult for me to bear. Um, And I mean, I want to be clear, like I'm not walking around thinking like it's, it's entirely my fault but I do feel like you know what did I do wrong in in this situation so that this is this is the outcome like if there's no medical reason
2: mm-hmm.
1: then yeah. then why right. and what's what's to say that it wouldn't just keep happening mm-hmm. um, yeah.
0: Uh, oh, I just, I feel like we need to take a collective deep breath. It's such a, um, it's heavy, right? Like the, the idea as I sit here on the other side, watching you that you feel shame for that, it breaks my heart. And obviously I want to um, take it away or make it stop for you. And, and I don't know how, Um, the only thing that I can think of is to just allow you to speak about your experience and, um, hopefully that helps you feel valued and held and heard and, um,
1: loved. Thank you. You know, I think actually what you just said, it does, it does help me to speak about it and to to find other people, um, other families who have been through this. Um, I really think that the more we talk about the realities of this, I mean, they say statistically that 25% of pregnancies end in miscarriage and that's 25% of known pregnancies. Mm -hmm. So like oftentimes, you know, chemical pregnancies happen and you don't even realize that that's taking place, but um, but it's only one percent of us who have the recurring miscarriage, and and that's considered, I think, mm. I think after two, um, then you're in the recurring miscarriage camp. And that is actually fairly rare. Um and so, you know, there I am uh, an emotional like well-being coach, and I've started a support group. Um for people struggling with this. And I, I don't know if anybody's picking up on the fact that I'm not saying women who are struggling with this <laughs> because it's not just a, like a woman's issue. Um, I feel pretty passionately about like s- creating support systems for all people going through this. And so that any partner knows that they have a place to go to process their feelings about loss and, and to grieve and to understand, like that, there are others out there going through the same thing, so it can start to lift the shame and the, you know, that feeling of isolation. Um, yeah, is and,
0: did you say this is a Facebook support group?
1: Um, no, it's actually um, on Eventbrite. I can share the link with you. Yeah,
0: that's something I'll definitely want to put in show notes for folks that want to join. For folks that I don't, yeah, for folks that um, want to help f- spread the word to somebody else that may be in need of support. So absolutely, and and what a cool thing to offer casts to to lead and to
1: hold space for. How often do you meet? So right now, I just started this, um, and the first one nobody came. <laughs> So I'm I'm looking at uh, monthly and, until we get some some attendance and and then at that point I'd be probably willing to do like a weekly a weekly session and um yeah I mean I think the 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 goal for me in in having this group is to transmute um some of my own feelings about the lack of support and really create a space for people to speak openly and not get shitty advice in response. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is great. It's great work you're
0: doing. Um, I appreciate you being so raw, vulnerable, open, and honest with your experience. Um, Thank you for your time. And um, as always, I love having you here on the show. This is not the first time you've been here. So it's just a joy to um, continue to get to work with you in this way. Um, so like I said, I will definitely put a link to the Eventbrite support group in our show notes, as well as ways to get in touch with Cass through her emotional hygiene work and any other, you know, musings or ponderings that might come up. Um, and yeah, I think, I think I'll leave it at, le- at that. And, um, since you're off in Germany, it's getting to be later evening for you. So I'll
1: say good night to you. Thank you, Tessa. It's always, always a joy to have conversations with you on all topics. <laughs> Likewise.
0: I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, or even requests for future podcast topics, please feel free to reach out to me on social media handles Facebook at Tessa Marie Tovar, Instagram Yogi underscore Katniss, um, email address Tessa.tovar, that's T O V as in Victor A R at iCloud.com. I love to hear from my students, and I'm always happy to talk about this kind of thing for you. If you don't listen, I don't do this, and my goal is to spread the word about what yoga means on and off the mat, in particular, spreading the word outside of the studio. Thanks for tuning in, and have a lovely day. Bye.